Hi, welcome to the middle series of Phoenix Pod. My name is Bushra Özgüler. Today's topic is the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian activism. We will talk about the ongoing conflict on the ground, how to address the issue, and the effects of regional developments on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. My guest is Dana Alkurd. Dr. Alkurd received her PhD in government from the University of Texas at Austin. She is an assistant professor at the University of Richmond in the Department of Political Science. She works on authoritarianism in the Arab world, state-society relations, political mobilization, and Palestinian politics. Welcome, Dr. Dana Alkurd. It's a great pleasure to host you today. Thank you for having me. Let me start with some introductory points to give a background for our listeners and then discuss different aspects of the issue with the questions. As we all know, the Israel-Palestinian conflict is a century-long, unresolved issue. It's been uh, escalating from time to time, for instance, Operation Castlet or Gaza Massacre in 2008 and Gaza War in 2014 and so on. However, we are witnessing a constant conflict or I should say high level of attacks against Palestinians since last year. We can say that this conflict started specifically when dozens of Palestinian families were forced for evictions from their homes in the East Jerusalem neighborhood, Sheikh Jarrah, for the sake of Jewish settlements. Then people started to protest and Israel wanted to prevent this protest. And the clashes continued throughout the Ramadan last year. And again this year, during Ramadan, many Muslim Palestinians were assaulted in their holy site, Masjid al-Aqsa, without any distinction to elders, women, children. So actually, international uh, organizations reported that Israel and Israeli forces act against human rights. However, we haven't seen any improvement. And last week again, a Palestinian journalist, Shirin Abu Akleh, was killed by the Israeli forces. And during her funeral, they again beat Palestinians carrying her casket. So I'm just mentioning a few cases, but there have been several happenings like those. And I'd like to ask you, how do you evaluate the ongoing conflict in Palestine? And how do you define the situation on the ground? Palestinian activists and scholars, um, you know, chafe at the at the word conflict, because conflict implies kind of a, a equal kind of sides, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, duking it out um, with somewhat equal resources. At least that's the implication sometimes that is is taken from this kind of word. Um, but I think if we think about what's happening in Israel Palestine you know, as you said, for a century now, it is a a case of settler colonialism um, that displaced and continues to displace Palestinians um, and is a symptom of kind of a ethno-nationalist project that, you know, was, um, what's the word, was um, connected to a statehood project um, that continues to play out today. Um, and so why we're seeing kind of some of the, the events that you mentioned in the introduction and, and, and the ongoing kind of escalations of violence against Palestinians is because these, these issues remain unresolved. There's still a settler colonial state that wants to build, you know, ethno-nationalist, um, uh, ideologically driven state with, 
supremacy over this land and complete sovereignty over this land, but there remains Palestinians. And so that's, that's where that, like, really that's, you can reduce everything to that, to that issue, whether it's the killing of the journalist, whether it's the expulsions of the Sheikh Jarrah families, these are all manifestations of this broader settler colonial structure. Um, and in terms of what's happening on the ground now, things are really tense. Yeah. Um, so not only, as you said, like Shirina Ba'akla like was, was murdered, uh, even though she ha- like was very clearly dressed in like her press gear and things like this, that unleashed a wave of mourning and mobilization. So multiple cities, you know, um, held uh, funeral processions for her, including in Jerusalem. Then you had the um, repression in Jerusalem of her funeral. And then very recently, um, another person who had a funeral procession because he had been attacked during Ramadan and, and finally succumbed to his wounds, Walid Sharif, was that that funeral was also attacked. The the repression that's happening, um, and I, I just mentioned Jerusalem, but it's happening all over, um, is because the Israeli government wants to like cut off any sign of possible mobilization, especially mobilization that is unifying unifying for Palestinian communities across all of these kind of political and geographic divides. And that's what we saw with Shirin Abu Akla's uh, death and, and the funeral processions and protests that happened. And they're worried, you know, they don't want Palestinians to mobilize all at the same time and repeat what happened in last May when, yeah, Palestinians mobilized and they shut down the country. Um, and so that's that's where the excessive repression is coming from. They don't want a repeat of that. Yeah, as you uh, talk about mobilization, I have another question on that regard. In the face of these repressions and attacks, we see a unity among Palestinian people, especially the youth, both in Palestine and diaspora, to fight against Israel occupation and media misleading. So what is your approach to Palestinian activism? You also discussed this issue in your recent article, and our listeners can find its link in the description. Uh, what would you say about the Palestinian activism within the concept, uh, context of the recent developments? So um, in terms of Palestinian activism on the ground, I think that, especially as you said, like, um, especially since last May um, and some of the initiatives that emerged from last May, the, what they, they called it the Unity Intifada, there was like an economic strike. There was a lot of connections being made between Palestinian activists in communities within uh, Israel that held Israeli citizenship and then Palestinian activists in Jerusalem and in other parts of Palestine and, and West Bank and stuff like that. And so they, you know, they tried to and succeeded to a large degree last May to kind of uh, put forward a unified uh, front um, and a unified campaign. Um, and that has to greater and lesser extents over time, but like that has continued to 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 be the case. Um, so we still we still see you know even if maybe the protests are not the same size, but we still see like some of these initiatives from like uh, across different Palestinian communities and and as we saw with Shirin Abakla's death, like we we you know they are able to mobilize around these moments. Um, but the Israel the Israeli government is not you know it's not stupid like they are being very harsh in its in their crackdown it's not just the beatings it's the um it's it's the arrests of palestinian activists to basically get them off the street palestinian activists are uh the the ones who are like active and mobilizing people and like calling for protests and doing the organizing they're arrested 
They're put in prison, oftentimes without charge or or with false accusations, things like you're associating with banned groups or something like that, which is like often without any kind of evidence that that happened uh, multiple times. And they're thrown in prison for over a year. But like they're just trying to cut off the people who are moving others, the people who are mobilizing others. Um, interestingly enough, in the viral video that that uh, happened after Shireen's uh, funeral, when the when the people were attacked, the man who is being atta- who's holding her casket and is being attacked, and like he went viral because it was such a powerful image of like him holding the casket and not um, and not letting go, even though he's being beaten. Um, they arrested him, uh, and their charge is that uh, um, it has nothing to do, like they claim it has nothing to do with the funeral. We're just investigating his uh, associations with banned groups, but apparently everything related to the interrogation has had to do with the funeral. Like, you know, why were you there? Why were you? So, like, this is this is very clearly like a strategy, and we also have to be clear. Like, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Like, you know, the Palestinians are overcoming all of this. Like, this is going to have an impact on their ability to mobilize. Now, outside of Palestine. The Palestinian diaspora and like pro-Palestine activism in the West is very different from pro-Palestine activism in the region. Um, so the article that you mentioned, I, I, I think you're referencing the um, Gateway to Dissent article on democratization. Um, so so that one, I'm, I'm talking about pro-Palestine activism in the rest of the region, particularly in the Arab Gulf states, um, where pro-Palestine activism plays this mobilizing role uh, for broader anti-authoritarian movements. So... That's why Palestine is so integral to Arab populations, even to this day, even though there have been so many attempts to, um, you know, separate the Palestinian cause from Arab public opinion. But it still remains so integral. And it's because pro-Palestine activism is, is uh, caught up and is, in, is entangled with um, these broader movements for democracy and accountability in the region. Pro-Palestine activism in the diaspora, uh, you know, the Palestinian diaspora in the Western world, or even kind of generally pro-Palestine activism in, in the West, uh, is a different matter, I think. They're making great strides in um, countering the media narrative and things like that, but there are also some shortcomings to to um, how they've been proceeding. There, there was a recent article um, a recent interview, sorry, uh, of Rashid Khalidi in in Jewish Currents, where um, he 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 says something I agree with that you know they're they're making these great strides in the in kind of Western countries, uh, pro-Palestine activism is, but it's still not a unified movement, and so the strategy is kind of short short term, uh, short to medium term rather than long term, and and again. The people who are pro-Israel in a lot of these countries, they're they're fighting back. They're um, they're they're now weaponizing different different discourses to to um, um, punish those who are active and, and vocal on Palestine and in, in like let's say in the United States, for example. So I don't know if that answered your question. Very broad. <laughs> yeah, it answered very well. So uh, you mentioned that different uh, groups and initiatives come together uh, with this uh, under activism. So I think it's kind of promising for the uh, grassroots. But let me come to the political scene. Do you foresee any potential of unity in the politics as well, like a unity government in Palestine? Uh, No, 
um, because I think that the all the actors involved and in kind of on the political, like official kind of formal political sphere are um, benefiting from the status quo as it is. Um, but even if there was a unity government, like, you know, between Hamas and, and Fatah and, and the PA, and that wouldn't resolve the problem for Palestinians. Um, the PA, so like, sorry, to rewind, um, the issues that Palestinians are facing today are not because they don't they don't have a unity government. Um, what they need is a political movement. And the unity government, whether whether there's a unity government or whether it continues to be, you know, uh, Gaza under Hamas and the West Bank under Fatah, um, it's irrelevant to the fact that this whole structure has taken away from the political movement that they that Palestinians need. Palestinians used to have the Palestine Liberation Organization. There was, you know, with all its shortcomings, um, and I'm not saying it was a democratic institution necessarily, but it did. Ha- it was a big umbrella, and it did hold a, a number of different political parties, and there was a movement. Um, and it was a, you know, given where Palestinians were after the Nakba, after the displacement, th- that's a very successful liberation movement. Uh, that fact that they were able to achieve as much as they did. And the, the Palestinian Authority and the Oslo process and the creation of the PA and, and Hamas government, that has taken away from a broader political movement. So, um, yeah, just to kind of reiterate, I don't think that a unity government is forthcoming. But even if it was, the Palestinians wouldn't really find themselves in a better off position regardless. What we need is a, a political movement that encompasses all of the Palestinian issues. Not just, you know, the issues of slight, you know, marginal freedom of movement issues in the West Bank and Gaza, or a discussion of like what kind of state would emerge in these in these conditions. We need a broader discussion of Israel's settler colonial nature and all Palestinians and all of historic Palestine. So yeah, yeah, very significant points and yeah, interesting aspects. So my next question is about the regional level. So, you know, Israel has improved its relations with the Gulf countries and Turkey, and it's no more isolated in the region, uh, considering its relations with the other countries in the region. So how will this situation affect the Palestinian issue? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been, um, it's it's definitely a step back. Now, to be clear, Israel has never been that isolated in the region. There has been under the table normalization between them and these governments for a very long time, um, to varying degrees, of course. I'm not making like broad statements, but but um, but definitely this has accelerated that kind of upfront uh, coordination, especially between the UAE and Israel. Um, and that is going to have a negative impact, not only on the people in these countries that are um, now the recipients um, and kind of the, yeah, the recipients of is like Israeli repressive technologies and authoritarian uh, uh, technologies um, that these alliances are facilitating. So the more the UAE and Bahrain and like other countries um, ally with Israel, the worse conditions get for normal people in these countries. Um, so that's a problem on a regional level. For Palestinians, it's a problem because they truly don't have any kind of opening on the on the kind of regional political front um palestinians always knew uh, like people always knew that like the the arab league and like different arab countries like it was it was quite limited in its 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 ability to change much 
but at least there was some like some degree of like possibility um and now like obviously palestinians on the political front are much more isolated um but it's i always say this to palestinian audiences and like try to make that distinction is like these alliances that are happening that israel is is no longer as isolated as you said um and the alliances that are strengthening between israel and the authoritarian governments in the region should not meet should not be taken to mean that palestinians are isolated from other arab publics that is not the case um arab publics are still very pro-palestine um and we have to remember that these are authoritarian governments that are making these decisions um, and people are unhappy with that. Um, that means Palestinians, while recognizing, you know, um, recognizing how this is a setback, especially when we think about, let's say, like how much the UAE government is going to invest in Israeli like security industries. So that's, you know, the Palestinians are going to be the first uh, uh, um, victims of that kind of uh, um, investment. Um, but, you know, recognize that setback, but also recognize that there are still openings in the region, that making connections with other like civil society groups and Arab, the, the Arab public in different countries is still a possibility. It's not, we, we don't want to, we don't want to conflate what's happening at the level of Arab governments with what's happening at the level of Arab societies. Yeah. So we should differentiate the levels that we are discussing. Very good. Mm -hmm. uh, so after talking about local and regional levels, I'd like to come to a broader perspective with my final question. Uh, what is required to address the Palestinian issue at the international level? Yeah, at the international level, um, like I, I am not an expert on, on like international law necessarily, but my understanding is that like certain bodies, um, whether it's the International Criminal Court and, the, and those kinds of bodies that can uh, hold some accountability mechanisms, they need to act the same way that they acted when Russia invaded Ukraine. There needs to be, there needs to be that same level of urgency um, to holding Israel to account. In an ideal world, Israel would uh, be, um, uh, you know, uh, penalized for its actions. Um, when it kills a journalist, that's a war crime, and it should be penalized, right? When it expels people from Yisrofariyta, which is a, a it's a village um, uh, that is uh, being completely like bulldozed as we speak, like that should be penalized. Um, there's also like you know, I'm sure your listeners are, are familiar with like the boycott divestment sanction movement. So like there's some, uh, some space for civil society to play a role in pressuring Israel. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I recognize also that there are limitations to that one, because Israel's allies don't want to move. The U S isn't going to take a big, you know, a big stance on this. And then things like BDS are being, um, uh, targeted and, and, um, uh, criminalized in a lot of different contexts in the US and the UK. Um, in Germany recently, there were protests for, for Palestine and, and the German police went rampant and, and, and uh, arrested everybody even wearing a Palestinian flag. So it, you know, I understand that those are, this is the context we're dealing with, but I'm talking in an ideal world. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, we're always uh, trying to underline this accountability point. But realistically, you highlight also the limitations, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Dana Alkern, uh, for this comprehensive conversation. They're very insightful points. Thanks a lot. Thank you.